Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about. time for Mortgage Matter. All right. Good morning. Welcome. It is Mortgage Matters. It's another beautiful Saturday. Glad you're able to join us here. Thanks for sticking around after all the spider talk. I heard. Oh, you heard the spider there talk. There was a little spider talk the hour before. <laughs> yeah, I keep getting this spider in my mirror, so that I have that became, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How can I safely get the spider out of there? I know? say just a high pressure hose right in the crack between the mirror and the mirror housing. Yeah, and just really try to. Rinse them on out, but you know what? Those spiders that live in mirrors are pretty resilient. I know. <laughs> they always yeah. come back. Yeah, I know. they always come back. <laughs> always, yeah. So you I, have people out there this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, before we dive in, all you know, the bed that you heard said Jason Grody. We brought a Jason in, but not Jason Grody. We've off got, the bench. Off right, the bench. We, we pulled in yeah. another Jason. <laughs> Jason. Yeah. Brought him up from the miners. We got That's Jason right. Van Dyke mm-hmm. uh, joining this morning. He's a uh, one of the great Central Coast Lending Loan Officers based in our San Luis Obispo office. Thanks good morning, good morning. Yes, of course, always good to be here. Yeah, and we don't have to change change the intro, really. I mean, yeah, I guess the Dan last That's Jason, really what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to change the bumpers, the intro. It's, it's like, it's Jason. It's just, you just have a heavier load to carry. Because <laughs> right. Jason Grody is a talker, right? Yeah. So <laughs> Dad can go out and get coffee. I was telling my wife, the when, green I, room, when I do the know? radio show with Jason, yeah. I've got to carry yeah. about 5% of the conversation. Yeah. And that's if I work really hard to try and get that <laughs> right. in there. Yeah. Dan, Dan really, really is out. asserting yourself. Yes, yes. Dan's really out in the in the green room area there um, reading the surfer mags. Right, stuff like right. that, really. And then he just yeah. kind of floats in once in a uh-huh. while. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, reading the surfer mags, just yeah, <laughs> calling my friends, you know. Yeah, yeah, just, hey. No, yeah. that's no, that's that's a misrepresentation. <laughs> Dan is amazing at what he does. No, no, he's doing are. good. He's really good. Just different personalities. Yeah, that's that's right. all. So it's fun to it's fun to mix it up a little it bit. It is. Yeah. You just uh, you just got back from vacation, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, speaking of spiders, I parked my car at the Santa Maria Airport for about a week and came back and. There's not just one in my mirror. There must be one inside the cab somewhere. Oh, good. Yeah, I had a little web display to come yeah, back to. So, something to catch my beard on. Uh, <laughs> so that was really nice. But yeah, I went on a trip. Uh, we left. We were gone for about six days, I think, is what it ended up being. Went to uh, went to Utah, southern Utah, and northern Arizona. Hmm. We had a wedding to go to out in Moab, Utah, and... Uh, we ended up turning it into a Grand Canyon National Park uh, vacational sightseeing vacation. Oh, fun! And Is that your first time at the Grand Canyon? It was, yeah. What did you think? It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. just awesome. Awesome yeah. is the word. It was. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <I> <laughs> yeah. We, we didn't take the kids with us this time. Um, we, uh, you know, it was the wedding. There's not, not all the activities we were doing were kid friendly and it ended up being unbelievably hot. Um, the whole time, plus a lot of driving. Just not a good recipe for young children. No. So um, it was a great move by us. Got a little adult time, and uh, and it ended up being a scouting mission for a future Grand Canyon family trip. Okay. Which I, I could definitely see us doing. It was a beautiful spot. Yeah. Wish I had a little more time there to, uh, to do some of the hikes down into the valley a little bit. Um, and that kind of stuff. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I have not. It's oh, every time yeah. I think of the awesome. Grand Canyon, yeah. I think of uh, a vacation where Chevy Chase shows up <laughs> with the family, and they're in a hurry to get to Wally World, right? <laughs> right. And they pull they out, and they look, and they're like, "Okay, let's get a picture." All right, let's go, let's go. <laughs> yeah, no. there were definitely some of those moments on our trip. <laughs> but I know yeah. it's that that country is really beautiful. We're actually oh, thinking about yeah. doing a road trip to that northern Arizona, Utah area. Yeah. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, lots of beautiful country there. Lots of lots of desert, lots not so beautiful of, country lots of in wide between. Open space. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you know, at first it took a while. So we flew into Las Vegas because that Allegiant flight out of Santa Maria is just can't beat. Too good to pass up, yep. and it cuts about yeah. seven hours off the yep. the road. So each way. So that was that was nice. So we flew into Las Vegas, rented a car, and um, drove straight to Moab, just right across southern Ari- or southern Utah. And there's not a lot of people living in Southern Utah. It's, <laughs> no. Usually I like to come back from trips and give you the a little taste, a flavor of real estate in other parts of the world, other parts of our country. And it's, um, yeah, there's not really a lot to report. No? Um, Lots of USDA loans <laughs> out there. <laughs> I don't know. Does USDA do mobile home lending? <laughs> there is not a I mean... Driving through there, it's beautiful. It's just completely different terrain than what we're used to. It sure. kind of feels like you're driving on the moon a little bit. There's, right. you know, just there's, I, there's. I mean, it's not cactus. There's like tumbleweeds that are, you know, juvenile tumbleweeds growing, and uh, a lot of red rock formations just popping out of the flat earth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and all of a sudden there's trees. Yeah, too, there's, and there's there all, are in some spots. Yeah, in some and, tre- and then there's nothing. Yeah, a lot yeah. of nothing. Um, yeah. I was just yeah, amazed crazy. at how few houses there were. There's absolutely no one living in southern uh, southern Utah. Mm-hmm. Nothing going on there. I mean, every now and then we'd pass a, a single mobile home that may or may not have been abandoned. Hard to tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, every now and then there might be like a cluster of four or five. Mm-hmm. And it was just, but yeah. not a lot going on. Not a lot of, uh, you know, movement, human activity. Didn't see a lot of that. <laughs> it was quite, quite a... People stay inside when it's hot like that. I mean, that was part of it too. Yeah. I, I definitely People get that. People stay inside. But even looking from the outside, it was tough to tell if there was uh, anyone inhabiting the area every time i drive through places like that and i think back to some of the housing reports we get and they talk about the the average home income across the us it's so it seems so skewed right i yeah. mean we look at those numbers and we 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 see what i i can't remember what the report showed i think it was the highest that it's been of like 300 and 40 some thousand is the average home now. And mm-hmm. You come back to the central coast and I, you just you can't get anything for that. So it really highlights the fact that those areas really are pulling, <laughs> down, pulling yeah, down. Yeah, pulling down <laughs> the, the, sure. that average home um, price for sure. So yeah. that's, that's always interesting. When As we drove through some of these little com- 
I, I guess I'll call them a community. Um, <laughs> as we drove through these these places, we we're just wondering, like, what what do these people do mm-hmm. to for a living? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do they have water and electricity? Like, what's going on out here? <laughs> yeah. And um, I, after driving th- through Utah, I'm I'm pretty convinced that most people there are employed as cops. Hmm. Um, a lot of police. We met a couple. Yeah, you get pulled over, but you met a couple. <laughs> we like met a couple yeah. in a business transaction sort of way. <laughs> there was a negotiation. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I managed to get uh, get just a warning. Oh, so you're on your cell phone. Yeah. So there, here's another big difference between Utah and California. They don't put um, speed limit signs nearly as frequently on the side of the road as we do. How are we to know? You right. know what I mean? Like, I, how am I supposed to I know? I went from. One highway, I don't know, it was Highway 15 to Highway 70, I don't know the numbers, whatever, something like that. And it was 80 for about six of our seven-hour drive, 80 oh, miles per nice. hour, so I got in a good groove going 80. Right. And then got on to the next one. I'm. This is a common conversation on our trip. What's the speed limit? Have you seen a sign? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen a sign. I don't know what the speed limit is. Yeah. I'm going to follow the guy in front of me. Um, turns out that was a bad decision. Yeah, and then the officer <laughs> reminded you that uh, nowhere in Utah is the speed limit 90. <laughs> I was not going 90. Okay, all I right. I was going right. 80, which was after six hours, was feeling pretty comfortable. Okay. Um, but it turns out on this new highway that I had gotten on, it was a 65 limit. Mm. And uh, and so I had I got a little explanation, but the, the nicest, nicest police officer I've ever met in my life. Hmm. Um, you know, asked us where we're going, where we're from, how we're liking it so far, all all you, the niceties. Did you fill out a loan app? Did you get that? <laughs> I mean, geez. yeah. No, no. But uh, yeah, he he uh, let me off with a warning. That's always nice. Um, I'm but, not yeah. so lucky or fortunate. I, this is like. my first time not getting a ticket. I hear about all of these warnings that people get. I, I really use the, you know, we just flew in today and we've been driving for six hours and I, I've i never been here before. Yeah. I'm in a car I'm unfamiliar with. I pulled it all out. Yeah, it's easier when you have kids in the car. I did get one warning. I take that back. My son was about three years old, sitting in the car seat. I rolled the window down. I got him involved. This is a police officer. We were going too fast. You know, he may give us a ticket, but we'll find out. And he's looking at me and looking at my son, and we're both smiling. He's, he's like, like, all right, here's oh, your yeah. warning. Get out of here. <laughs> <Nice. I'm> like, yes. <laughs> well played. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it was it was a interesting to see Utah, Moab was where we ended up uh, going to a wedding. Mm-hmm. Moab is, from what I understand, is the third largest city in Utah behind um, Salt Lake City and Provo. Okay. And uh, Moab's not big. Mm-hmm. It is not a big city. If if I were to guess, I'd say it's uh, probably about the size of, man, I, I think even comparing it to like Morro Bay would be... Mm-hmm. I think Morro Bay is bigger. As fast as you were driving, you may not see it. I, we st- we were there for two days. <laughs> okay. I wasn't just speeding on through. <laughs> but yeah, it was not big. It's just tucked in a little valley. Um, you know, it's a there's a national park there. A few of them actually, which uh, we we went to Arches National Park. Nice, absolutely beautiful. You got those red rock formations where yes. you know there's like holes in uh-huh. in the rocks yep. and stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and then our friends whose wedding we went to, they actually got married at a place called Dead Horse Point, mm. which was mm. kind of, uh, it, I mean, it was a spectacular view. Um, you're up on a on a high point of 
of these red rocks and um, looking down, it was kind of a mini version of the Grand Canyon. Hmm. Saw a little bit of a river rolling through, mm-hmm. just way down in the valley, and it was a very beautiful, um, beautiful place to get married. So that was that was fun. Um, uh, five thousand forty-six people in the two thousand and ten census. Five thousand. So yeah, it's about half the size of Morro Bay. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Population. Uh, here's the uh, twenty fifteen. The population five thousand two hundred thirty-five. Yeah, it's a it was a small so. town, and it was it was interesting. You know, in Moab there was more of the conventional housing that we're used to, more mm-hmm. stick built stuff. But still, um, if you were to, you know, the ratio of of manufactured and mobile homes to stick built housing is quite high there. I'd hmm. I'd venture to guess it's, you know, around twenty percent of the housing is is mobile in nature. Wow. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, no I, I thought here in our county, we had a lot of um, mobile and manufactured homes, but it pales in comparison to what I saw there. It feels like the mobile home and manufactured home financing is opening up a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. It feels like we regularly hear from lenders that we deal with who are now opening up some different options as far as that. And, you know, some mobile homes, if they're on a fixed foundation, um, and you own the land and have property tax, just like when you own real estate, it, you can I mean you just a- apply for a conventional financing. And sure. It's just the same. Yeah. And you cut, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars off your purchase price, which is often great for some folks. Yeah. I guess the problem is, right, is what you call a mobile home or manufactured home. I mean, there's a lot of different animals. So a lot of people call in and, and you know, they want to know some details on the financing and, you know, there are some specific things that must be met, some requirements to do that conventional financing, but it definitely seems like it's opening up. So, you know, that's, that's uh, another route that people can go for sure. Yeah. And I think part of the reasoning for that is, um, one, there's now, you know, since it's not new, but since 1976, there's been standards now in the manufactured home industry. Right. Um, prior to 1976, there was no standard for the construction of these homes sure. you know, and now that's the that's not the case now we have um manufactured homes are approved by hud mm-hmm. and there's a hud seal mm-hmm. um, an actual physical sticker that you can see right yeah it's in the home and that's what we need to see it needs to be in the appraisal report the mm-hmm. appraiser needs to take a picture of that seal so that we can see that it is a hud approved home um so that I think it's part of the reason manufactured homes too aren't just the, um, you know, eight foot or 16 foot wide, you know, rectangle boxes anymore either. Sure. They are, sure. they can be in any kind of design really. I mean, they're, the, the designs are endless now and sure. um, th- it's really, it, it's becoming harder and harder to tell the difference between a manufactured home yep. and a stick built home yep. with all those design options. Um, the other reason I think that we're seeing lending opportunities open up for those um, mobile and manufactured homes is just due to lower volume. Mm. <laughs> I think there's, you know, never underestimate self-preservation in banking. Yes. Um, they're always going to find a way yep. to uh, to keep new loan applications coming in. Definitely. So, definitely. yeah, definitely. We've seen a few of our investors open up. Um, and I think even a, a few weeks ago, we talked about some guideline changes with those manufactured homes. One of the common properties we see around here is a stick-built home with a manufactured home 
on the property as well. Um, right. Sometimes mobile, uh, still on wheels, sometimes um, on a permanent foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see any and all iterations of that type of multi-unit parcel here. Mm-hmm. Usually it's on acreage, mm-hmm. um, but we... And, and it used to be a loan that was just impossible to do. We were able, you know, if if there was a stick built with a mobile still on wheels, they would just treat that mobile as personal property and and uh, not give it any value. And that that was okay. We were right. able to finance that. But right. if that if that mobile was on a permanent foundation, it became the impossible loan. Dis- disqualified yeah, the property it, altogether, you, even though you've got a normal stick built home. On foundation, just a normal single-family <clears throat> residence. Yeah, that, that's that's a tad bit frustrating. And it, it was really frustrating because you can finance a manufactured home on a permanent foundation right. when it's all by itself. Okay. You can finance a stick-built home Sounds when it's good all so by far. itself. So why can't you finance it when there's one of each on the same parcel? Don't right. we just call it a two-unit property and move on? Right. No, it's right. not the case. It turns out it's a big problem. Um, and we were not able to do it. And as of about a month ago, um, one of the banks that we work with has opened up lending on that exact property type. Mm-hmm. We can do it now with conventional financing, mm-hmm. FHA financing, even VA financing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different options for it now. And um, and it's it's great because it's something that definitely comes up. Sure. Um, you know, it's it's not an infrequent call that we get at the office. Yeah, we see a lot of the guidelines sort of swinging that direction. I think typically... You know, for folks coming in, looking to buy a house, things tightened up, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago when we had the the mortgage meltdown, that crisis. And we saw a lot of those stated income programs go away and we saw, you know, the the interest only programs go away. And a lot of those just have not come back. Um, But a lot of these these more subtle guidelines have opened up, which do allow for, you know, a, a broader purchase pool, which is great, which is great. That's, that's, that's important for sure. So as we're seeing that, it just opens up a lot more opportunities. I think that's important. And we'll kind of get to this. I have some notes on some things that kind of touch on this topic, but you know, there, there are so many guideline changes happening on a regular basis. What you couldn't qualify for maybe a year ago, now all of a sudden you can qualify for, maybe it's the property um, that now is eligible um, maybe it's, you know, now we're able to use gift funds and you don't have to have a certain percentage of your money involved. There's a lot of things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that are constantly changing where, you know, if you did get turned down maybe a year ago or or even just thought, you know what, there's no way I can do that. You know, sit down. Let's look at all the information. Let's put everything on the table and then try and find a path that makes sense. There's a lot of those opportunities now that I think weren't there a year ago. Yeah, it's the mortgage environment is always evolving. That's the one thing I've figured out in my mm-hmm. 15 years in lending. It's always changing, mm-hmm. never a static thing. Yep. Um, and then, you know, so in addition to guidelines and, and those types of things changing, um, just different banks have different appetites. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the primary reason that we work with so many different banks is that we want to, we as a company want to be able to have an appetite for all residential housing. Yes. And, um, and when you go into just your local bank, whether it's Wells Fargo or some other institution, they have their appetite. Yeah. And so when we work with uh, Wells Fargo, B of A, U.S. Bank, and then a whole bunch of other banks, you know, we, we have about 40 banks that we work with. Yep. When we work with all those institutions, we get 
to offer the appetite of all of those banks. Yeah. And so it's it's a good way to do business. It enables us to do really any residential loan that can be done. I tell people that all the time. If there's a path to financing, we're going to be able to find it. And yep. you may not find that sitting down with one bank because like you said, they've got their guidelines. They've got their overlays, which basically say, yeah, these are the guidelines, but we're not even comfortable with these guidelines. We're going to tighten things up even more. Mm -hmm. And so those overlays can be really restrictive and prohibited for people to get financing. So yeah, it's nice to be able to sit down and know, you know, I've got all of these banks. If you're a paper, great credit, 30% to put down on a purchase. Awesome. We can do it. Oh, you don't have any money down. You're looking for gift funds. Um, you know, 0% down your, your credit might be a little beat up. I mean, we've got a place for that as well. So we can take your scenario and put you with the right financing that, that is optimal for you, which is nice for sure. We are just getting started here on today's show, Mortgage Matters. Um, I might have failed to mention, but uh, Jason and I, we're here representing our business, Central Coast Lending. Um, if you have any mortgage needs during the week, give us a call at the office. The number that rings all four of our locations is 543-LOAN, 543-5626. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about... Um, unique ways to qualify for mortgages if, if you're income challenged mm -hmm. and uh we've got a little bit of data to go through we've also got a guest for the second hour yep irene ryan irene ryan's gonna join us she's a realtor yep with caldwell banker there we go yes super interesting gal for sure okay um and she's gonna be fun to have on the show for sure yeah awesome Excited and uh and of course if you guys have any um, interest in calling in, asking a question, sharing a comment. We'd always love to hear from you. You can call us live in the studio at 543-8830, 543-8830. And uh, we're going to take a quick break here to thank the sponsors. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is, we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Loan. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 018 California DBO number 605 4783. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Settled back into my normal routine after a nice little vacation. I'm sharing with you my Utah side of my uh, my trip. We also wrapped around the eastern side of the Grand Canyon and made our way through northern Arizona. Mm-hmm. A lot more of the same kind of terrain. Right. A little more... A little more scenery, less of a police presence also, in case you <laughs> yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you learned your lesson in Utah is what happened. I, I know the lay of the land now. I, yeah. Um, yeah, we fi- visited a few spots. We visited Horseshoe Bend, which was a cool spot. Oh, Lake Powell. We stopped at Lake yeah. Powell for a night. Horseshoe Bend, which is kind of the unofficial eastern side of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Beautiful spot. Um, Antelope Canyon, did you see? We did Antelope Canyon. Did you? Yeah. See, that was that was on our list for possible road trip. How yeah. was that? I Antelope heard it's Canyon amazing. Slot, slot, it's a slot canyon, which is a little canyon that forms from water runoff. They have these monsoons during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the ground is so hard. It's they they call it petrified dirt. Hmm. Um, so it's more or less rock. Really, the the water doesn't soak in very fast so the you know rain will come down it'll collect it'll just channel and become this rushing river they have flash floods there all the time and all the um the terrain is the sandstone and limestone softer stones Mm -hmm. and so the the water will start to channel it'll pick up uh other dirt rock debris and that will be the abrasion that really starts Mm -hmm. to carve these canyons and you get these Mm -hmm. amazing deep um oddly shaped canyon things and a couple you know some of them you can go down into we went to this antelope canyon spot where we were able to get down it was about 110 feet down underneath the the ground and um just amazing what the the light does down there yes just beautiful colors beautiful natural stone formations and Um, you know, these tour guides are like, Hey, there's a, there's an Eagle over there. And there's a, I mean, obviously these guys are spending way too much time underground. (laughs) Now, let me ask you a question. You, you were able to, you had to do a tour, correct? Like, aren't these owned by, by native Americans and you have to is on Indian reservation, but we were told by the guide of about a spot that you could just drop down into okay. um, without any kind of tour okay, guide good. or anything. Good to know. You do it at your own risk. Right. Um, what's nice about going with a guide is they're familiar with the weather patterns. Well, you have to and, be very aware of yeah, rains. It yeah. was. I want to say it was last year or two years ago. Um, there was a a group that went down into a slot canyon. I think it was in Utah. Hmm. They, yeah. In fact, they said it was about a hundred miles away from that Antelope Canyon spot. 
And these folks got out of cell range mm. right before the weather um, notifications changed that there was rain coming. And so they had no idea. And they got, that, I think it was like eight people died oh. in a flash flood. Yeah, they just can't couldn't change. get out can't of the get out. And what's scary is the rain does not have to be so local. I right. mean, that water can come in from a storm that is very you know, far away uphill from you. Definitely. And you're in trouble. And it happens fast. Yeah. So it was interesting. I asked, you know, there were a lot of people at this tour and a lot of people in a small space at one time. And I asked uh, the guy, I'm like, I understand, you know, it's not going to rain today, but when there's potential for rain, do you limit the number of people down here at one time? And they said, uh, not really. We, we kind of know what's going on and, you know, we, we can get 800 people out of here in two minutes. Hmm. I'm like, oh, good. That's mm -hmm. obviously how, something you're how practicing. Often, yeah, how often do you yeah. test that theory? <laughs> yeah. well, sounds like they've, they've done it and they do it. When um, I can't get three people out of the house right? in a half hour, yeah. <laughs> you're like, going to get really? 800 you people get out 800 in two minutes? people who are panicked out of, it, out of that in that short of time? Yeah. But they said they could, so... But yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful spot. We got some amazing photographs. It's amazing up in there. Yeah. Actually, really beautiful. So that was that was beautiful. So recommended then. I definitely. Add that. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. it was fun. Okay. And then right. we we did the South Rim. I was sharing with Jim during the break. We only got a a uh, about a half a day in the South Rim of the Grand uh -huh. Canyon, but it was so so beautiful. Great spot. Definitely want to yeah. go back there. And then we went to the the West Rim and did the Skywalk. Oh. Oh yeah. Yeah, I want to do that. I haven't done that. Kind of disappointing. Really. Yeah was very disappointed um so the whole like southern edge of the grand canyons it, it was um three different indian tribes mm -hmm. uh different reservations mm -hmm. and um and so that one on the western edge they they really the the tribe was really in control of people coming in and out so they they really um treated it like a tour it wasn't like the south rim where you could just kind of no. be on your own and walk around you had yeah. to get shuttled around yeah. um it was massive amounts of people at a time and they wouldn't even let you take your camera out on the skywalk yeah they had their own cameramen out there uh, and then you could buy the photos for 40 bucks a piece inside no, that's kind of it's just kind of like a that. tourist yeah. trap yeah, yeah it felt like a tourist trap yeah it, it definitely wasn't the same experience as the as the south rim experience where it was more like you're just out in nature you can find your own way no one's there telling you to not get close to the edge and stuff i mean you can just do whatever you want mm. yeah. um so it was different but thing i liked about the south rim is you can walk along it yeah they have that rim get, trail which is the rim trail and then if you do get tired of walking you can they ride the bus. tour bus back mm -hmm. and stuff like that and they run every five minutes the buses yeah it's really it's really great yeah 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 so and yeah, you don't feel like it's a tourist trap either and i bet you would probably like this town you probably even been there williams arizona oh i love it yeah so that's where i stayed the night before yeah we stayed in williams arizona yeah. um yeah. cool little spot about an hour south of the south rim we actually stayed at the grand canyon railroad hotel okay which was uh you know it'd be fun for the kids because you could just stay at the hotel and they have a train that yeah, goes park. right into the grand canyon yeah and um i just stayed at the days Inn, but it was but it was it was it was great, and you could see all the train cars and everything, yeah. and it was decorated. And yeah, it was really neat. it was a little town trapped in time because yeah. Route 66 goes right through there, really? and it was it was so neat. So yeah, we ended up driving Route 66 back to uh, back on our way back to Las Vegas, oh, okay. and um, so then we stopped at the Hoover Dam. 
Oh, when, I was going to ask you if you saw that. When we were at the Hoover Dam, it was it was on Tuesday of this week at 5:30 p.m. It was 123 degrees. Yeah, <laughs> it was but, unbearably hot. Is that your first time seeing the Hoover Dam? Yeah. Just, so this was the moment where we're like. All right, let's do it. Let's get out of the car. Let's go take that picture. All right, got uh, the picture. Let's got get it. back let's in the go. car. Let's go. AC, get just, the AC gone. Get the just AC just gone. driving up to that thing and thinking that's 1930s they built that. Amazing. It's yeah, amazing. We were joking with someone, with our cab driver in Las Vegas as we're heading to the airport, that uh, they couldn't even build that today. No. With all the OSHA and yeah, yeah. all the different <laughs> things, you know, yeah. you wouldn't be able to build that kind of thing today. So it was, yeah, it was such a spectacular sight. So many great sights on the way. But again, even that northern Arizona, just not a lot of housing. Um, mm-hmm. What I did see was a lot of mobile home uh, housing. And I just, you know, couldn't get the, the question out of my mind. Who's living here? Why are they living here? Right. And what are they doing to to continue living here. <laughs> what is going on? I don't see you moving to Arizona or Utah anytime soon. I started so. to wonder if these are all people in witness protection <laughs> or, I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. But, oh, that's funny. yeah, there that's was funny. a... So just very different from what we're used to. Right, um, right. So, yeah. This is a, a much back. more desirable location that we very. live in, for sure. Even just the temperature makes me want to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy to be up in an airplane and see that marine layer hanging off the coast. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like 60 degrees, 65 degrees here. It's going to be great. So, um, yeah, it was it was great to be home. It is great to be home. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, so here we are. We're back, and we're uh, getting back in the saddle. Talking, right, exactly. Talking about what we do, talking about mortgages and real yep. estate. So back to work now for you. That's back always difficult after such an extended time away, it right? It is, yeah. Yeah, vacation um, doesn't always feel that great when you get back to work. It for those feels of you, like a pile of work waiting yeah, for you. For those of you who don't know, Dan is the co-owner of Central Coast Lending. So obviously when he takes a week off plus, he comes back to a pile <laughs> of necessary work that has to take place. Yeah. And lucky for you, Jason... The other owner decided to take a little vacation, yeah, so we, you're right back into it. We slapped high five in the air. And, that's right. And now you get all of the issues and concerns right. to deal with and thumb through. So, But, but here so you are. Here I am. Yeah, here you and, are. And we have uh, we have a couple more things we want to talk about, sure. um, which actually you, you had brought in. And, and this is, a, I think, a good topic. I've noticed that... Lately, you know, loan volume seems to be a little down. A lot of it has to do with inventory issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the loans seem to be just more challenging. For sure. You know, we're seeing challenges with with income qualification, few credit challenges, um, and then... Funds to close, at deposit, assets, Where where's the money coming from and, sure. and how do we do that? Sure. Um, and so you brought in a, a little primer on on the income side and how yep. how we can get creative. Yep, um, exactly. But still navigate the full documentation world that we are, that we live in now. Yep, exactly. You know, there's a, I always look at it like the lending triangle. So there's three, there's three legs that, that must hold up this financing stool that we're about to sit on. So we've got Credit being one, obviously we can look at your credit report and see what those scores are, see what your past payment history is. There's a lot that's based on that. We've also got, you know, the loan to value. And so when you're purchasing a home, how how much you have to put down 
on a specific property. So that's the that's the second leg, and then income is sort of the third leg, which we you know debt ratio is something that's very common that you may hear you know, looking at this. And really, what that is is just comparing what your income is, your total gross income, compared to what your housing expense and any other debt obligations that you have on your credit report. So if you add your your debt obligation from your credit report and the new housing expense that is compared to your total income to give us a debt ratio. And, you know, one thing that I've come across here and probably similar to like you were talking about, you know, what's, what, what's the profile of folks that live in this area? And we have a lot of money in this area, which is nice, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We've got a lot of retired folks who come to the central coast just for the quality of life and the, the, um, you know, the climate is really nice. It's just a great place to be. A lot of those folks have a lot of assets, but they're on some sort of fixed income. If it's social security, if it's a pension, whatever that fixed income is, and they just have a really difficult time qualifying for a second home, a new home purchase, a refinance, whatever it is, may have made a lot of money while they're working, but now find themselves in retirement, needing to restructure some of their debt or maybe wanting to buy a new place and just not having the income to do it. Um, you know, in the past, I've talked to a lot of folks in this category that just, or even financial planners, I like to talk to financial planners and, and, you know, about their clients situations. And a lot of times they just don't have the monthly income to qualify. One thing that we can do is if you've got these retirement accounts, there's a way to, to utilize these accounts without necessarily liquidating them, which is also very important where we can utilize these to qualify for more of a purchase price or, or, or add income to a scenario. Yeah. You've seen a lot of that. Yes. As yeah, well? definitely. It's often referred, referred to as, um, asset depletion. It's, um, yep. and, and there's different variations of asset depletion, but the most common one, the one that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac allows mm-hmm. is, um, when you're depleting a retirement account, it has to be a, a retirement account, not just an investment account, right? Uh, not just a bank account. It has right. to be an actual, IRA or 401k or some type of retirement account like that. Right. And um, it's it's pretty simple to do. You you know, if you say you have an IRA with like an Edward Jones or one of those types of companies, um, you can ask your your plan, your, your financial planner to um, set up a monthly distribution for you. Yeah. And so this is pretty simple. You you have them set up a distribution. It's a fixed amount on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the only requirements it, to be able to count this income is that one, you have proof, you have a letter from your planner that says that is set up and what the monthly amount is, which typically can be obtained from one or two conversations. Yeah. It's so very, very simple to get. Yeah. It's very, it's quick. It's easy, um, to be able to do that. And you have to show that the balance in the account can support 36 months yep. of that draw. Yep. And so you you talked about two things. There's there's two there's the asset depletion where let's say you have a million dollars in some type of retirement account, they discount it by thirty percent, so that makes it seven hundred thousand, and then they, they'll actually divide that by three hundred and sixty months, giving you nineteen hundred dollars or so a month in monthly income. A lot of people don't have a million dollars in their retirement account. Um, what I'm coming across is that second piece that you mentioned, which is that setting up that distribution. I've talked to three separate clients just this week about this program that went to other banks and were told, you just don't qualify. One lady sat in my office this week 
And she, she was so stressed out that the bank said, well, why don't you talk to your kids about co-signing for you? Mm-hmm. And she was just like, what? Like, I've got, you know, 300000 in my IRA. I've got plenty of assets. And I have to talk to my kids about qualifying. She was just embarrassed to even have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's where we sat down and said, you know what? You've got these IRAs. You don't have to liquidate these. What you can do is, like you said, set up a monthly distribution. Her scenario is she needed about $1,000 more per month to qualify. So we set up a distribution for $1,000, took literally two phone calls. We provided that to the underwriter. The underwriter said, okay, the account balance is enough to support this $1,000 a month. We add that to your monthly income. And now all of a sudden, now you don't have to have that uncomfortable conversation with your child about co-signing. And it just opens up so many opportunities. So it's, I mean, it's amazing. And like you said, you you don't have to deplete the the account. You, nope. you set up the, the distribution, you get the letter, you qualify for the loan, you close the loan. When the loan is closed, you can discontinue the distribution if you want. It's pretty crazy. You don't have to keep doing it. As far as, as tight as guidelines are and how restrictive they are in so many scenarios, I, I think it's fun to have a, a program like this where literally you don't even have to receive that first distribution. As long as you have the letter saying, hey, this is the account balance, this is going to be the monthly distribution, they count that as income, and like you said, it can be discontinued, and you really don't have to worry about liquidating that account, Yeah, which is is brilliant. And in the example you're giving, I'm I'm just kind of floored that this other um, bank, you know, didn't even offer that. Someone who only needs $1,000 a month of additional income, you're saying they have a IRA of $300,000, has a $300,000 balance. Mm-hmm. We could, I mean, they could do a distribution of as much as $8,000 a month. Yep. And, and that would still work when you do the math for the 36 months of supporting that payment level. I think it's just a function of being lazy, to be perfectly honest with you. Or just not knowing. Or just not knowing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's possible as well. A lot of folks look at these new buyers as just turn and burn as quickly as we can. And if you don't have the down payment and I can clearly see, oh, $1,000 Social Security and 1500 in a pension, you're just not going to qualify. And they just they, they, they leave with that disappointment. But that, I think that's where we sort of separate ourselves, and we talked about this earlier. Let's get everything on the table, and let's find the path that actually works. Because if there's, we talked about this, right? If there's a financing path, I'm just going to find it for you. That's just how it is. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to find that path for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's a, a pretty amazing opportunity. And this also works for refinances as well. So this is not just a, a purchase strategy. This is also restructuring and you know looking at refinancing um, as well. And another thing that's important is, you know, for financial planners, this is great because you don't have to liquidate these investment accounts. A lot of times there's tax consequences of, of liquidating the account. Um, you know, the, the obvious way to get a payment down is, well, let's just throw another $50,000 towards it or another $100,000. And now you're having that uncomfortable conversation with your financial planner about selling this investment that may or may not be beneficial to you mm-hmm. um, to do at this particular time. And you can avoid all of that just by using this this simple little strategy. And it's nice to have that card to play in these scenarios where you just need another $500 or $1,000 to qualify, which is great. Yeah, the the practice of of getting co-borrowers or co-signers on a loan. While it's a great tool when when it's needed, mm-hmm. um, it is obviously a way that, that we can get people qualified by adding you know, some family member or someone to a loan to help mm-hmm. you know, gain additional income and, and qualify for a loan. Um, you got to be careful with that. 
you got to be careful with adding and removing people from title. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times we'll see, you know, I, we'll, we'll see a situation where someone needs a co-signer in order to qualify, but they don't want that person to remain on title after the loan process is done because this is their house. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, I want you to help me and I, I appreciate that, but title, I want title in my name only. Mm-hmm. And so after this loan's done, I want to remove you from title. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can be pro- that when, when you're adding or removing non-spouses mm-hmm. from title mm-hmm. the, that is a reassessment a trigger for property value reassessment yes so you need to be aware of that change in ownership yeah officially. whenever you're changing ownership you need to be aware that 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 could potentially change your um, tax base for for your property taxes and mm-hmm. so you need to not just do it um, recklessly sure. and, and you need to you need to plan so if sure. there's a way to to qualify in a, in a different way without having to add or remove people from title, mm-hmm. then that might be the smarter way to go. It yeah. oftentimes is. And I think that, again, just falls in the category of let's put everything on the table. Let's understand what the current programs that are available to us, what those guidelines are, and then let's choose the path that makes the most sense for you. <clears throat> we may have three or four options that we could move forward with, but it's good for this particular person to understand what those options are because some may be beneficial, some they want to steer clear of. Um, you know, my wife's a CPA, does taxes, and we talk about that all the time. There's there's 15 different ways to do this tax return that are completely legitimate, but there's typically one best way. So <laughs> let, let's find that one best way and go that route, because that just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to speak to that, that non-occupant co-borrower is also a very important tool that folks can use. It seems to come up a lot with our first-time buyers and younger buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they aren't in a career path at this point um, that allows them to qualify, or they're not making quite the income that they may be making down the road. Um, you know, just because of the fact that they're young, and oftentimes, you know, it makes sense to have that co-borrower on there, which which they can do. So we can count the income from a non-occupant co-borrower, meaning that that person does not have to move into the home with you. It's totally fine that mom and dad live in a mobile home in Utah, like you drove past <laughs> right. this last week. And if their income allows you to add income to your application then now all of a sudden you might be in a position where you can now purchase a home and they don't have to move in. It's still your home. And you're now, still getting the primary residence qualification, yes. primary residence interest rates, yes. all, all the benefits of being a primary residence, but having someone who's not living in the home helping you qualify. Right, exactly. There are finer details, obviously, that we have to get into about them being on title and things like that. Um, but when we get into the weeds on those specifics, obviously that's something that we do in, a, in an appointment and talk about those options. But it's just it's nice to know that there's a lot of options out there where I think a lot of people feel like they're they're limited in some way based on either bad information that they've recently received or basing their information on something that has recently changed, which we talked about happens all the time in this industry, all the time. So it's good to sit down and know exactly where you stand and what all of your options are, which obviously we're here to, to help you do. Another situation um, that's income related that we've run into in the past is um, people who are relocating. 
-hmm. When you have someone relocating, they have an agreement with their future employer for, you know, some type of salary or, you know, whatever the compensation agreement is, Mm -hmm. but they haven't yet started the job, Mm -hmm. but here they are, they're packing up their family. They're moving from cross country or wherever they're coming from. And, you know, they want to, they don't want to, they don't want to move twice. They don't want to get into a rental and then start the job and then buy a house and then move into the new house. Yes. They want to just get settled in the new house the yep. one time and not have to to do the move twice mm-hmm. where you inevitably break at least one piece of furniture. Yes. <laughs> um, so we, a, a lot of banks require that you have 30 days of pay stubs Mm -hmm. before they will count income. Mm -hmm. And um, we're able with a few of our investors to, um, to work off of just that employment contract. You don't have to have started the job yet. You don't have to have a first paycheck, let alone 30 days worth of paychecks. Right. Um, All we have to do is call that HR department um, and verify that this is in fact a valid um, contract contract yep. for employment, and that you this know, is the verified on the salary. Up and, yep. and, and as long as that checks out, then we're able to use that contract as income without even, like you said, without even having a pay stub. That he, you can actually close these loans. You can actually close on a transaction before your official start date mm-hmm. for that job. Which this time of year, you've got teachers that are, you know, selling a house and moving and accepting another job, or maybe they're not going to get their first pay check until September. Um, it's great for folks like that. It's great for doctors. Um, it's great for all kinds of folks in those types of industries that they're moving. They have a couple of years, maybe history in that line of work. And now they're trying to qualify where maybe they left their job, don't start their new job for a couple months. Now they're still in the market for a house, which is, I mean, again, amazing, I think. Yeah. To be able to, to, to have that as an option. So, yeah, those are, those, that's awesome. That's good <laughs> stuff for sure. There's, um, you know, a lot of, one of the biggest things that we'll find is people try, trying to pre-qualify themselves and they end up disqualifying themselves without really understanding the different, uh, I don't want to say loopholes, but the different opportunities to Mm -hmm. qualify. Um, We'll see a lot of self-employed people talk about how, you know, is there any way you can just count my gross income because I write so much stuff off Mm -hmm. and, you know, my my tax return just doesn't doesn't show anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a bunch of rental property, but I have a lot of write-offs and... And I just, I just don't show any income. In fact, I show losses. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the bottom line, the gross adjusted income that you pay income tax on isn't necessarily the income that we use to qualify you for a mortgage. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of write-offs that we exclude from income calculation. We don't count depreciation on a rental property that's just a paper loss. Right. We don't count depreciation on your um, self-employed business. Mm-hmm. That again is just a paper loss. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you have a lot of people who are self-employed. They have, um, they have auto mileage expenses, which can add up to be you know tens of thousands of dollars. And mm-hmm. we are able to write off about half of that. It's like twenty-three cents a mile mm-hmm. that can be excluded from the from the um, expense side of your P and L. So there's some things that we can do to boost your income a little bit um, above what just the tax return says. Yep. And likewise, you know, people on fixed income, which you mentioned a little earlier, um, uh, uh, Social Security income, 
is the big one that I see yep. a lot where it's not always taxable on mm-hmm. your tax return. Right. Um, it, it has to do with your total income level. But when you're when you're below a certain income level, you're a portion or, or sometimes all of Social Security income is non-taxable. Yep. And so when we're in the in the mortgage world, we're always using gross income to qualify, mm-hmm. knowing that your net is something less than the gross. Sure. Um, but when we see your your uh, Social Security income and and we see that it's non-taxable, we actually go the other way. We yep. gross it up yep. to account for uh, the way we typically look at income. Right. So we're able to gross that up 25%. Right. So, so making a $2,000 benefit now all of a sudden a $2,500 monthly benefit to you, which is great. So yeah, I mean, little things like that, that people don't necessarily know that, Hey, you know, we, we can add thousands of dollars to income with potentially not having you go out and work an extra hour, right? which is, which is great. So yeah, before you, I mean, I, I know people love to get on the internet now and try to try to figure things out on their own, but, um, you know, sometimes a, a quick phone call will help help you save a lot of grief and um, and figure out that you can qualify for a home that you didn't otherwise think you could. Or maybe you can qualify for a different type of home than you thought you could qualify for. Right. So it's it's something that's easy. And again, these, these guidelines are always changing and evolving. I think last year, the future employment contract was a little tougher. Mm-hmm. And that has loosened up over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like all these guidelines, there's there's a little loosening. We're kind. Of, there was this overcorrection as a result of the the crash in the real estate market yes. ten years ago, and as the market heals, and as we see in on the performance side of these loans, what's working and what's not, and who's qualifying and who's not, there's a little bit of tweaking going on with these guidelines. And some things are loosening, some things are still tightening, but we're, we're kind of finding a more of an equilibrium of where we should be guideline-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's definitely. important to check in um, if, if you've been disqualified or if you've disqualified yourself. It's important to... to Check back and, and get a second see. opinion. Yeah, I mean, if this if owning a home is something that's truly a goal of yours, and and you feel like you're on the fringe, let's let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Talking about it's free. Um, it doesn't always have. It's not necessarily a time consuming process. We're we're pretty um, efficient at, at what we do and how we look at tax returns and uh, and the various documents that you provide, and we can give you answers pretty quickly. So that's what we're here for. I like it. That's why we make a living. That's right. That's why we're uh, putting sandwiches in lunchboxes. That's, what we're <laughs> that's doing why we're better than a rocket loan where <laughs> you just try to do it all yourself. I may have deleted the bed, so I'm going to have to count you down maybe. Oh, okay. okay. No, so we're yeah, going. So 10. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a rocket countdown, yeah. huh? Five. Cool. Seven. All right. Well, we're entering the uh, top of the hour break. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters after these messages. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Nibbling on sponge cake. Watching the sun bake All of those tourists covered in oil 
Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Smell those shrimp Hey, they're beginning to boil Wasted away again In Margaritaville yeah. I didn't realize it was the Alan Jackson and Jimmy Buffett version, but uh, hey, it works. Yeah, it's Alan Jackson. But anyway, it's good though. Yeah. All right. Well, the blame. No. 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 Okay. Never mind. Never mind. All right. Reel it back. Reel it back. Come on. It's nobody's fault, Jason. You should know that. It's always the one's fault. All right. All right. Huh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Not, that doesn't seem to be the case in my house. Weird. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, we're back. We're uh, happy that you're sticking around. We've got a guest joining us in the studio. We've got Irene Ryan joining us. She's with Coldwell Banker in Pismo Beach. Welcome. You're making your radio debut, I understand. Yes, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks you for want, joining us. You want to give a shout out to all your nieces and nephews that are listening right now? <laughs> yes, they are. And my brothers, thank you so much for my loyal supporters. <laughs> <laughs> She's got groupies already. All Look right. at that. Look at that. That's good. I told my son I'd give him a shout out. So, what's up, Caden? <laughs> <laughs> Eat your breakfast. Listen to your mom. Follow the rules. That's right. Or else. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, yeah. Welcome. Uh, thanks. I know Saturday is uh, usually a day for R&R, right? Or no, you're probably always working on a Saturday. Not Irene. Yeah, no way. You no, know, I'm one of those uh, six days a week kind of real estate agents. You just, you can't help it. You've always got clients that need help. And yeah. Sometimes Monday through Friday just doesn't work for everybody. I was going to say, six sounds sounds like a relaxing schedule. Exactly. You're not working a full seven? Exactly. Well, <laughs> I call it, you know, hours and half days off. So, you know, in the middle of the week, they see those realtors out walking their dogs or somewhere fun. Yeah. That's because we just took a two-hour day off. <laughs> and you caught right. us during those two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not the typical nine to five. You, you take time for yourself when you can because right. it might That's not right. happen again for a while exactly because it is um for most of our clients the most important purchase they've ever made in their lives and yeah. you just have to be there for them when they need you sure and you know when you're in a hot market like this you gotta you got to act quick. Oh, yeah. Houses so, aren't sticking around for right. long. That's right. If that property is priced right, it will be gone tomorrow. So um, before we dive into all the, the shop talk here, I'm just curious to get a little background on you. Um, how long have you been in real estate? How long have you been in the area? Tell us a little about, bit you about know, your background. I got into the business in 1998. I uh, went with a commercial firm down in Southern California, and um, I started out in research and was just checking out the industry. I, I grew up with a father who did investment real estate. And so, you know, I was one of the kids that trailed around that he used for free labor. And so you learn as you go kind of thing. You know, when the tenants moved out, we were the ones sweeping and mopping the floors. Mm -hmm. And so you really got a great, unique look at real estate. And I never really considered it as a career until I was in college. And then, you know, I was taking classes, going up an elevator one day, and I saw a flyer that said, you know, a uh, double major in real estate. Hmm. I thought, well, that would be interesting. I'm going to invest in real estate. Why not take some classes on it? And here we are today. It's awesome. And double, double major finance as well, right? Yes. Yes. I started out in accounting like your wife. Yes. I did auditing for Costco for almost a decade. 
and discovered I had a little bit too much energy to yes. sit behind a desk all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that you will all learn about Irene is she is right foot on the gas pedal most of the time. Yes. Which is great if you're a client because there's no stone that's left unturned when you're dealing with her. I, I just lo- I love the fact that you've got a degree in finance and real estate. I think that's that separates you from a lot of the folks that sort of like you had said, well, I think I kind of like real estate, so I'll just, just jump in and just see what happens. Right. And those folks go through a lot. There's a, obviously a big learning curve, but just having that education shows that you're passionate about what you do, which obviously your clients can appreciate and you recognize right away. But I think it just puts you head and shoulders above everyone else when it comes to to just analyzing it and understanding it, which I I think is great. I am a numbers geek, I have to admit. I I am one of those people that drool over a spreadsheet when I get to look at the income and expense. I love all that. Um, But I also love what the residential side offers, which is the emotional side of helping people who have no idea what they're doing, even the first-time investors as well. You know, they're afraid to ask the questions. They don't want to appear uneducated in what they're about to dive into. But that's where you have someone like me, someone like you guys, who takes them by the hand and leads them through that process and gets them what is ultimately the goal, the property they wanted to own. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So you do both commercial and residential real estate. Yes, I'm a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) It's not uh, common. Usually uh, you find a lot of residential agents trying to go into commercial because they have those clients that have that $2 million house who also own five investment properties. And it is really difficult to break into investment real estate because I, the best way I explain it to the agents I've mentored over the years is that you are literally someone who speaks French who is about to learn Italian. And it's different cultures, different worlds, yep. and you kind of have to forget what you know in each to do the other. And so I had the unique benefit of starting out in investment real estate and worked on million plus properties and loved every bit of it. But when we moved here, we're a county of 285,000 people. Whereas where I was working, you had millions in one city and I was working in a county. So when you come up here, you can't work the same level or volume of real estate. So uh, here I am. So talk to me about this person who's interested. You know, they they might own their primary residence Mm -hmm. and they have aspirations to own investment property, but don't know when or how to start that side of their real estate portfolio. Um, you know, I I can think of a lot of people who've bought homes in the last five years and their homes have appreciated and they've gained equity and they've you know got their mortgage rates down and they're in a great financial position and they've maybe even saved more money um, in addition to the equity they have in their home. When you're working with someone who's a first-time investor, what advice would you have for them on on how do you know when it's the right time to make that leap into an investment property? Time. That's the most important word that I think you said. And I think, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, don't try to time the market. But the reality is, is the market is time, isn't it? And it's one big circle. And so each moment that you're asked that question, it depends on where we are at in that time circle for real estate. And so th- that's how the, the, the answering would start is where are they financially, like you said, and then what type of investment do they want to do? Are they looking to buy another house for a rental, maybe a fourplex, an apartment building, an industrial building, you know, across? There's You have to decide also what type of product you want to buy into, and then that really does determine a lot of what they can do. And, of course, you guys come into play. 
you have to talk to a lender. We have to start there. We've got to know what would you qualify for. And and then the property has to qualify, right, guys? Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, and so it, those are the two biggest steps. So the first thing first is what can you qualify for? And then find a property that can also qualify based on what you want. And what do you want out of that property? Are you looking for a particular return? Are you looking for appreciation? Are you looking for um, what I call pride of ownership? They might not care about either, but they like to brag that they own that office building in downtown San Luis. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and are you looking to leave something for your children or are you looking to live off of that property because it does make a difference do you know we've gone through this appreciation cycle here for the last i don't know five five or seven years maybe Mm -hmm. um some people are concerned that the market's too high that it's overheated that that you know that maybe values are could soften at some point and i I don't necessarily subscribe to that but given the appreciation we've seen over the last five plus years does does that um is that a risk is there a concern that that buying an investment property now is a a, could potentially be a a problem it is it's a valid concern and you know i I, again i go back to what is the reason for their purchasing because most clients have an end result they're looking for and sometimes that real estate cycle or circle we call it doesn't really matter because they are going to hold it for 20 years yep. and so those are the things you have to consider if you're a flipper you know and you want to buy and flip properties you know in about a year i would start getting nervous personally right. but Keep in mind, if I had a crystal ball and could be exact on the market, I'd be a billionaire. Sure. And sorry, I wouldn't be here with you. <laughs> yeah. I'd be out on my island somewhere. Um, but the reality is, is timing is important. So if you were going to buy today and you were telling me you were looking at investment, one, do you have cash you need to place? You know, where is that money now? And is it going to get you a better return there? Or should you put it in real estate? And then you have to ask yourself, okay, at that end result, are you going to try and sell that property in the next two to five years? Or are you really going to hold it for your children for 20? Because then today's market really doesn't matter because it's going to more than appreciate in those next 20 years. Over average, California shows an 8 to 9% return through the good times and the bad times, through the 25% a year appreciation all the way down to the negative 25% in a year appreciation, it averages out that California holds its own on properties. So you just have to ask yourself, how long are you going to hold? I see. Well, that's good advice. We're um, we're joined today by Irene Ryan. She's a real estate agent with Coldwell Banker in Pismo Beach. Um, if you have a call or if you'd like to call in and ask a question, we'd love to hear from you. 543-8830 is the number to call. Uh, we do have someone waiting on the line from Los Osos. We've got Perry on the line. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Doing well. How about you? Pretty good this morning. I have a son-in-law that is planning to um, move out of state. The story is he's he's just sold a home. He's going to walk away from this home with probably about $70,000. Um, he's planning to move, would maybe think of it, Utah. Oh, really? And because of the price of housing among other things, and the availability of work. He is going, he's currently working for the state and plans to um, quit his job as of towards the end of August when he gets fully vested. That means he's only worked for the state for about five years. Um, I know it's a little complicated, but he's going to look for housing and a job 
uh, I believe at the first of next month. Question is, would he be able to talk, would it be beneficial for him to talk to a loan officer to see about getting pre-qualified before he knows what type of housing he's going to get and before he knows what kind of job he's going to get? Um, I I would say that it's it's never really too early to talk uh, and do that planning because, you know, that, that planning stage, there's no cost to it. Um, it's always great to have more information and understand loan programs and options and and that type of stuff. And, you know, if I, I assume he has some kind of idea of the type of job he's looking for and type of house, um, you know, at least a, a price range or yes. different amenities and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think that it is um, – it, it's never too early to start that conversation. If you find that there's problem, problems with qualifying, it just gives you more time to work through those issues and, and figure out a strategy um, to, to make the, the, the home purchase come to reality. Would a local loan uh, officer or, or person be able to help him? Um, in a general sense, yeah. It, when you when he's ready to get specific, he would want someone who's licensed in the state of Utah to be able to help, um, because ultimately that would be the the lender that he would use. You know, our company, for instance, is licensed in the state of California only, so so we wouldn't be able to facilitate a purchase in another state. Um, but but you know, a local loan officer would definitely be able to give that general information, the general guidelines. But you know, each each bank is a little different in what their appetite is. Is kind of how we started this show, talking about appetite and and having different banks offer different loan programs and different guidelines. It's so if, eventually he would want to talk to the Utah licensed loan officer that he would end up working with. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for your program. Sure. Thanks, Perry. Thanks for the call. I think that's always good advice to sit down with a lender first. I, I've found that a lot of the realtors that I'm working with, they're not even showing homes anymore unless you've got some type of pre-qualification letter because it's just they're just too busy, right? I mean, you see that, right, Irene? Well, and a pre-qual doesn't work anymore. It needs to be pre-approved, actually. Hmm. Um, we want to see those clients already go through the process with you of going through their tax returns mm-hmm. and making sure they can actually qualify because there's too much competition in the market today. You can't afford to just be pre-qualified. You've got to be pre-approved. And you need to have that set up and you need to have your agent having communication with that lender. Yep. So that way, when we're out looking at properties, you know, uh, an HOA fee can mm-hmm. change everything. Right. Yep. And if we're not talking about it together, then that buyer gets really excited about a property. and Maybe they're pre-qualified or maybe it has an HOA fee we didn't calculate in. And they're, they're already picturing where their furniture goes. And then <laughs> one of us has to give them the bad news that I'm sorry, you don't qualify. It's the worst conversation, right? Yeah. Yep. It's it's funny. Too often people will um, mention all the highlights of their their story, their income, their assets, all these great things, right. and, and fail to mention you know the foreclosure they had six and a half years ago when we need seven years seasoning, or fail to mention that they have a side business that loses twenty thousand dollars <laughs> a year and impact impacts their ability to qualify. So digging into the actual documents that our underwriter is going to use to approve the loan, doing that up front and getting that approval through the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac engine is definitely the right way to go. It's the solid approval that you can bank on um, and, and go make offers with confidence. So 
definitely it's the right way to do. You know, as far as timing of when to engage a loan officer, we have people engage us sometimes a year or more prior right. to a conversation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need to advise on credit. I, I had a young man come into the office and, and right off the bat, I saw that he had very limited credit history. He had, he didn't even have a single credit card. Um, he maybe had, I, I don't know that he really had anything of significance on his credit report. I, he might've had one credit card, but it was less than a 12 month history, only was reporting a couple of credit scores. And I was impressed that he even had two scores show up on the report. <laughs> and so the advice to him was, hey, you need to go out and establish credit. You need to have three trade lines minimum that are open and active for three months. You know, I know that you like to pay for things and not carry debt. That's great, I applaud that. I, I live that way myself, um, but Use the credit card to buy groceries. Use another credit card to buy gas. Use another credit card to make you know whatever other purchases you need, and then pay those cards off every month. You won't incur interest. You will start to develop a credit history. Your scores will um, start to build up. You'll have what we call credit depth, um, which will enable you to qualify for a mortgage. You're not going to get a mortgage when you've never demonstrated an ability to pay back a hundred bucks on a credit card. Mm -hmm. Well, and let's go back to that foreclosure on the credit. I always tell my my clients you know you have to be able to trust the people you're working with and just know you know it's not quite like a DOJ hearing but your dirt is gonna come out to us yeah by the end so you might as well have that conversation with us now anything that's occurred so that we can make sure this is gonna be successful because it is their dream to buy that property whether it be investment or a home and now here we're at the end and we're two weeks from closing escrow and we find out that they had a foreclosure three years ago and they never mentioned it to us. And it's not showing up quite yet on the paperwork. So you have to be willing to trust the people you're working with. And if you feel like you're working with someone that's a used car salesman, then you are and get another agent mm -hmm. or get another lender. You yep. need to be able to trust us and know that we're on your side. We're your team. So if you are trying to be successful at what you're doing, you need to make sure the people working with you want the same end result as you. We're not here just for a paycheck. We're actually here to help people. We're here to have relationships with you for 20 plus years. We want to be the person you call when you have that real estate question, not just when you have a deal to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you said, the all the dirt will come out. You know, the, the underwriting process isn't what it was 10 years ago. There is um, incredible resources out there to us now. Every database is at our fingertips. We see it all, we check it all, we know it all. We see if you're applying for multiple mortgages at the same time, mm -hmm. we ask those questions. Everything's triple verified. So if if there's something that you know um, that you're not telling us, uh, you might as well just, just let us know because we're gonna prevent a, Jeez, even, a even problem later. Equally <laughs> as important are the things that you're not aware of and don't sure. know. Yeah. I had a guy that called this week trying to get financing on a new house and he said, well, I live in a duplex and I rent out one unit and I live in one and that income showed on the tax return. No problem, we can count that rental income. And then before I gave the prequal, I did a little digging and found out that that duplex was actually zoned single family residence. Oh. And now all of a sudden it's a granny unit. That's and now right. all of a sudden I can't count that rental income. So it just, it completely changed the scenario where he thought that he could count that rental income because he's been receiving it for a couple of years. Why not? Why can't I count it? So it's a lot of times it's what you don't know that, that can come back and, and grab you at the end. So it's good to know. And that, like you said, working with professionals that are experienced, 
that can all communicate together and that's right get across the finish line all holding hands at the same time is super important so irene ryan is our guest she's a agent at coldwell banker in pismo beach how could people get a hold of you if they wanted to pick your brain about real estate well today the easiest is that cell phone isn't it it's 805-441-6367 and that is also connected to my direct line at the office. And I make myself as available as possible. So if I'm not answering you right away, it's usually because I'm with another client. I have not forgotten you. I will get back to you. But it's okay also to stalk me a little bit <laughs> if you feel the need. But usually I get back to you same day. It's, it's not a problem. That's great. Um, it is getting close to the half hour mark here. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And we're going to have uh, another 30 minutes or so with Irene. And we're going to talk more real estate. So we hope you stick around. Again, if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to call in at 543-8830. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Reaching out 
I'm glad I'm not sitting next to him. Touching me. <laughs> Touching you. <laughs> Sweet Caroline. Bum, bum, bum. So good. So good. So good. So good. If we sing over the entire song, we're not pay the royalty. Yeah. <laughs> Just waiting for that agent to discover me. Yeah, there it it's is. It's going to happen. Oh, man. Someday. How could he not be happy hearing that? It's a great song. Yeah. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters. We're joined by Irene Ryan. I keep referring to you as a real estate agent. You're not just an ordinary real estate agent. You're a broker. You've yes, got I your am. broker's license. Yes. And I'm sitting here looking at uh, the. You know, we we have very strict qualifications for our guests, and so you provided your resume and application, and we approved you, and it's just, it's quite impressive. I'm improved. <laughs> <laughs> what can I buy? <laughs> um, let, I mean, I'm looking at all these accolades here. You're, you've managed multiple offices. You've, um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Overachiever is usually the word. Yeah. This is and and it looks like part of your career started down in L.A. and you've made your way up here. It did. I started in commercial uh, real estate in Southern California, and uh, started in actually hotel. I was going to be the next female Donald Trump. Oh and, wow! And uh, learned that there was a couple things not in my favor. You know, the commercial industry at the time was about ninety three percent all men. And having four older brothers made it really easy to fit in just comfortably and not feel uncomfortable. I think I made the boys feel more uncomfortable. <laughs> and I, you, you know, can thank your older brothers right. for that. Oh, yes, you can definitely. go back to them and say, hey, thank you. Yes. I always tell my Thanks, sister guys, that. I know you're listening. It's good for you. It toughened you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, they definitely did. And then while you're in the office, you know, and you've got the guys who, you know, they're all, you know, big and tough and saying things to you like, good luck. You know, and pat you on the back right, and you right. know, saying things like girl and you know I had one who always called me sweetie pie you know until I got to top 10% nationally for the company and then all of those things just kind of went away right yeah and you know you just as a female in, in investment real estate you just had to prove yourself just a little bit more mm-hmm. you know but it was worth it it was a lot of fun and I loved working with the clients and you know I did an old Fox Theater building in Redlands are you familiar with those no. Oh, gosh, they're amazing. And it was about 40,000 square feet. And they're the original theaters, and they had the orchestra pits. And they showed oh, okay. Gone with the Wind and yeah, Color yeah. for the first time kind of thing with people. And I had a client who I had literally had to drag there to look at it. We had the listing, and it was about $2 million. And as soon as he opened the doors, he said, how much? And I got oh. him to buy it. But it was a complete remodel, my favorite transaction ever. And it was just a beautiful building. But I had to convince lenders to do the loan, sure. convince the buyers to buy the building, you know, and it changed my client's life forever. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that was when I knew I really wanted to do this for a living. That's great. And you've been with Coldwell Banker now how long? I've been with Coldwell Banker now off and on for about 10 years. I had a little stint down in Southern California where I went back with Sperry Van Ness. They had recruited me back as a regional director and kept making me offers and then finally gave me one I couldn't refuse. So I went back there for a short time and managed about uh, nine offices, you know, and mentored and and trained some commercial agents. And then my husband was still up here. He hadn't had the transfer back down yet. So we had to make a decision. Did we want to be in Southern California for more money or did we want to be in the beautiful Central Coast? Mm -hmm. And we decided we wanted to be here. 
And so I walked away from down there. I did, in, in the middle of that, go to NEI. They recruited me over as a vice president. But it just wasn't worth it. You know, quality of life sometimes comes in a little bit more than the money, right, guys? Definitely. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so we came back. I came back up here, and it's been happily ever after. Uh, Cobalt Banker asked me to come back and manage for them. I ended up managing four offices, became the corporate direct uh, advisor for the company. I still am the contact for all the commercial investment for the company usually, and um, never looked back and became a full-time agent in 2014. I decided I'd been managing for about a decade at that point and really great experience. I would never uh, give it up, don't regret it. It really made me a better broker uh, for my clients now today, but I just love doing deals. No doubt. You know, versus fixing the deals for everybody else, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> We had a um, we had a question. A caller called in during the break. Yeah, you know? he he was just curious what steps you go through when you do have a client that's looking at an investment property, and I'll even switch it and add it to maybe a commercial space. Okay. Where folks maybe necessarily, um, I guess we just talked about this off air. Is I, I think it's unique with your experience, where you know a lot of folks when they go to a real estate agent and talk about investment properties, they're only looking at residential. That's and th right. that's all they really know because like we talked about, they're just two different animals. So you having the experience to be able to open up and analyze some of these commercial properties as investments as well, what, what processes do you go through to estimate what that future value of that property is? And even more importantly, maybe the, the rents and expected rents that they're going to be collecting on that property. Is, there, is it different in commercial than it is for like a single family or a multi um, just residential home? Well, it's a little more fun in the sense that you have P&Ls to look at right. and you know numbers to crunch, which I love. And then you're looking at cap rates and rates of return and NOI, which is net operating income. So you're looking at all these things, but you're looking at present past and then future is really how you should do it. Okay. A lot of people look to the future first and they buy based on pro forma income what the property is going to do. Sure. And that's a huge mistake, right. especially in a market like today, which is what a lot of buyers are doing. It's a competitive market and returns are low, you know, and you have to look at what the property is doing today and what it's done in the past and then connect it like a puzzle was it was there a reason it did better in the past mm -hmm. or is it the same and then you look to the future of the potential of the property was the person who had it were they not looking at it the right way maybe they never maintained it maybe it doesn't have a roof i mean it just depends on the property itself and then you look at the future rents that you can obtain but you don't buy based on those future rents right right in in the commercial world the the value of the property really is it's heavily weighted on what those rents will be right that's right it's on the income i i tell clients a lot that you are buying leases right you know you're not just buying a building and so you really need to tear those apart and i've had people who don't take the time to read the leases mm -hmm. and it's rule number one that's part of your due diligence i had a 10 million office building in diamond bar and we had, I think it was about eight tenants in the whole building, but one of them had a kickout clause, which allows them, even though it's a 10-year lease, they can leave anytime they want with a 90-day mm. notice. Sure. That changes everything when they're 20% of the building. Right, right. You know, so you have to look at the leases, the tenants, how long they've been there, are they outgrowing your space, you right. know? Uh, it, and then also some people prefer like multifamily versus single tenant. But when you're looking at single tenant, that lease becomes everything. Mm -hmm. Now it's a hundred percent. Oh, it's right. right. Because when they go, you just lost a hundred percent. Now yep. you're a hundred percent vacant. Yep. Changes everything. Hmm. 
Interesting. So is should should only experienced investors be considering commercial investment property? No, but you definitely it's so interesting. Commercial versus residential and commercial we call ourselves advisors. And that's mm-hmm. what we do. We're helping our clients go through the process, but in commercial they're considered more savvy, so there's certain things we really don't hold their hand for. Mm. Being in residential, it's almost the opposite. Everyone's afraid to call themselves an advisor because of the liability, but the truth is we are. And so whether it's inve- um, investment in residential or commercial or whether it's a home you're buying, it is an investment. So you do need somebody to advise you, and you need someone to kind of walk you through it if, you, if you're not experienced. So if you're an inexperienced person wanting to buy an investment real estate, you have to start somewhere with someone like us. We have to find out if you're qualified. That's the very first thing. We have to see what can you buy. And then we start going through the rest of it. And we, we do hold, I at least do hold your hand through it if you're not experienced because I want to be with you 20 years from now. So talk to me a little bit about cap rate. I hear this term all the time. I know a lot of people hear it. It's it's um, a term that you hear a lot with the with commercial properties. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it it it's really that that impacts the price of of the property. What should people be looking for? What does cap rate even mean? Okay, so cap rate is an abbreviation for capitalization rate. And what it is is you're taking the NOI, which is the net operating income, and dividing it by the purchase price, and it gives you a a percentage and let's say that percentage is eight that means you're getting an eight percent return based on the net operating income compared to the purchase price but here's the little caveat with that that's only an eight percent return if you're paying all cash so if you're Mm. financing now what you really want to look at is your cash on cash return which is based on your down payment Mm -hmm. and that includes your mortgage payment and that gets calculated in a cap rate does not calculate in a mortgage payment so some people will think you know inexperienced investors will go oh the cap rates eight percent and oh my god i'm gonna make all this money but at the end of the day they're really only making four percent because they didn't bother to crunch the rest of the numbers and that's where someone like me comes into play and the net operating income is just the the p l of the property more or less kind of but you're not including things like um capital expenditures you know you uh, you don't include things that improve the property you include your normal expenses you don't include so your, not big ticket items not usually um, or let's say you did an HVAC so you had to get a whole new HVAC on the building you're going to include that but you're going to divide it out by the numbers of years of its life mm-hmm. so you're not going to put it on one year's P&L and then calculate a cap rate after spending $20,000 on an, uh, an HVAC unit you're going to divide that out by five or ten however your accountant is recommending for the life of that HVAC and that will go into your expenses. Okay. And so cap rate, what's a good cap rate? You know, it changes with the market, just like everything else. As the market gets tighter, that cap rate goes down and it also depends on what area you're in. If you're up here, we are a coastal community. So your cap rates are much lower than if you went into Fresno and so, or into another state. So in 2003, people started leaving California, investing in Arizona and Texas. And does that sound familiar today? (laughs) a little bit right and so people start looking for that return but you also have to remember location because when the market does shift in that negative circle and you're going down you wish you were in california Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. you have to also consider the risk you may get a higher return today being in utah 
Arizona or Texas, but in the long run, the appreciation may not be as much. So you have to look at everything. And then you have to also ask yourself, when you own a property in Arizona and the market's bad, what's the vacancy rate there compared to here? Sure. You know? Now, I feel like in the last real estate cycle, a lot of people purchased real estate for appreciation. In fact, on the lending side, that was the rationale for all the mm-hmm. loans that were made. That's oh, right. everything's going right. to appreciate. It doesn't matter. You can just fog this mirror and we'll give you a loan. It's going to appreciate. That's going to solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, is making any type of investment decision based on appreciation what do you think about that? I think it's bad and good. So it depends again on what you want out of that property and the timing for which you buy it. If you were buying today for appreciation, you're going to feel like a genius for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And usually when you are in that cycle of real estate, it's like looking at a clock, 12 o'clock being the top of the market, six o'clock being the bottom. When you're at 10 o'clock, things are moving much faster. So we've been having an average, uh, rate of appreciation what was it last year about 12 percent average in the county mm-hmm. yep. so but the year before that was about the same but the year before that was lower mm-hmm. and so that appreciation rate starts going up every year so towards the end of a really great real estate cycle as you get closer to that 12 o'clock hour the appreciation goes up even faster mm. so i'm expecting something around 20 percent this year i don't mm, know if wow. we'll hit it but I, I i'm you know but i i wouldn't be surprised if we did when do you think that noon hour is coming <laughs> i you know god i wish i was a genius and had it right mm. um i'm usually off by about a year or two and i'm anticipating over the next two to three years anytime and there's so many factors that go into that guys i mean i know a lot of people in our area are not going to want to hear what i'm about to say but trump did change that when he went into office versus hillary was that good or bad we'll see Right. You know, the confidence level in the market um, does is and is depicted by a lot of things. And so if people are confident in where our economy is going, this market could last longer. Uh, the the um, what I call manipulation of our interest rate, you guys are probably more familiar with that than I am, mm-hmm. has really affected our market. And so and there is a negative for every positive. They've mm-hmm. been holding back inflation for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So are we going to have that inflation over the next two or three years? What do you guys think? I keep thinking that things are inflating somewhat, but the inflation number that gets posted nationally doesn't seem to be changing. That's right. How much is that gallon of milk or eggs today at the store? Is Mm -hmm. it the same as yesterday? It doesn't feel like it. Or at least the container got smaller. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) And those are the things I'm noticing. That's true appreciation. Now, um, the average wage is going up. Do you think that's really going to put more money in the household or do you think it's going to create inflation? Good question, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously the inflation is bad for long term mortgage rates. That's right. And so we are seeing, you know, the, over the last six months or a year, we have seen a, a slight bump up in long term rates. Um, but that that's that's based on and compared to, like you said, some government intervention. That's right. That really drove interest rates down to a level where they they normally wouldn't be under normal market conditions. That's right, and it changes everything. So that savvy investor that's been in the business for 20 years really usually can see the writing on the wall and know what's coming next, and right now it's not quite the same, is it? We're all kind of sitting back going, what's gonna happen next? Yep, yep. That's, yeah, I, I definitely feel like I'm in that category of just wondering and waiting. At the same time, I have a hard time rationalizing uh, the noon hour, as you described, with the way the supply and demand is today. 
Um, yes, yes. And I, you know, today it's hard enough to go out and compete for a home. And I feel like we're only at the beginning of the millennial generation becoming home buyers. That's right. Mm. So that's right. With that on the horizon, this huge population of people that are entering their 20s and 30s and and that home buying age and the number of new units being built and that mm -hmm. I, I just I I feel like we're stuck at the 10 o'clock hour for potentially another decade. Right. It feels <laughs> like it, doesn't it? So what do you have to look for? So what I tell people is that the things that I pay attention to are vacancies in buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, has a building been vacant for five years and finally getting leased? We saw that over the last couple of years with those old bank buildings that were mm -hmm. empty for five years. And now there's, you know, a Shakey's Pizza right. or somebody else in there, right? <laughs> but that's all good, positive information to pay attention to. So I remember in... 2004, I went to a real estate convention in Southern California, and we were in Laguna, and that's where the Weiland Gallery is, and it's that downtown section, mm -hmm. and, you know, did a lot of business with a lot of clients down there, and there were literally waiting lists to get your business in this downtown section, and they were doing what they call net leases, where not only do they get rent from you, but they also get a percentage of your income. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And they do that at like Ontario Mills malls and stuff. And it's, it's, but it really is great for everybody because it really keeps the businesses and flowing and gets business in there. And then we're standing there on a corner waiting for a light to walk across the street. And there was eight of us. And I saw four vacancies in that downtown section in 2004. And I knew what was coming. Because that means the rents are too high and right. people are not making it anymore. Right. Mm. And so there's a cap at which things start shifting, isn't there? Yep. And so 2005, we sold all of our properties. Wow. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but it was, I was off by about a year. You know, but which is fine. I was right, which is okay fine. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, and then we moved up here in 2005, and my husband said, "You know, hey, what are we going to buy? Where are we looking?" And I said, "Let's wait. We're, you know, I am not in a hurry to buy. Right. Everything is so crazy. We waited five years. First time in my life I had not owned, and we bought in 2010. Smart." Yeah, I look like a genius now, you don't do. I? You do, sure you do. Yeah, just wait for the next crash, then I'll buff up somewhere around there. <laughs> wow, that's that's a cool story. Yeah, I, I yeah. like hearing story. You don't hear that story often enough. And... No, no, and it's, but that's the positive side. And I tell everybody, just because the market's shifting doesn't mean the sky is falling. Right. It means there's another opportunity from a different viewpoint. And so you just have to strategize your portfolio, your plans for your investment properties based on what you believe is an educated decision. Mm -hmm. and, and the timing, like you said, is so critical. I mean, it's it's less important of exactly where we are at this moment if this is a long-term hold because it's going to go up and it's going to go down and that's just the cycle of things. That's right. And the people who tell you, oh, timing doesn't matter, run people because right. <laughs> yes. it does it's no. everything yeah i agree i agree <laughs> it's not always a great time to buy real estate it, it actually <laughs> is but it depends on for the reason you're buying totally. doesn't it no you're yes. right you're yes. absolutely right <laughs> you're absolutely right yeah your exit strategy is what matters in those moments yep you know are you holding for 10 are you holding for two right so as you look at the real estate landscape today mm -hmm. in our county, um, do you see opportunities? Um, do you see, I mean, whether it's an individual property or an area, do you see some places or, or particular properties that are better opportunities today than another? I do. And it just, again, it depends on what you're looking for. You know, I had clients who just bought a $1.6 million property 
and we've been looking for two years and for most people they'd be afraid to spend that kind of money right now not sure where the you know are we at the end is the more you know they're you know those kind of questions but in the reality is is that that property was so unique and so special for what they needed that it would have been a mistake not to buy it mm-hmm. regardless of what happens with the market because they are going to hold for 10 plus years mm-hmm. and so it was brilliant for them to buy it now and the reality is is when we were almost closing they had another backup offer for over forty thousand dollars more mm. you know so that really made the clients feel better uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah no kidding <laughs> Yeah, I always worry about, you know, buyer's remorse. That's an advice to a first-time buyer. You know, make sure you do your due diligence. Look at the market. Don't be hasty um, because you don't want to – the worst thing you can do is buy a home and then feel like you made a bad decision. But the truth is, is you feel that way through the whole process. No matter what happens, oh, it's there. Exactly. It's there. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I tell everybody uh, when we were buying our house, it's 2010. The interest rate was around 4%. It was um, the perfect storm. You had low prices, low interest rates, and yep. this was after we were hearing the interest rates were going to go up, right? And so I, the whole entire escrow I was in, every single day I had to walk myself off the ledge. It's okay. The market's going to go down a little further, Irene. It's okay that you're buying now because you're going to hold it. You know, yes. and this is what I do, and I feel buyer's remorse. You know, <laughs> so could you imagine our clients every time? It's a piece of it. There's no doubt. And if they've had a bad experience, oh. then it's just, oh man, you need a counseling chair to sit down and talk some of these people through it. That's right. Which I mean, it just happens. Negative neuro association. Yes, right? it's you just like, have to go back to what they, why they're doing it. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And understand it it goes back to like what you were saying is spending time with each client and understanding sort of where they are. That's right. Sometimes their expectations are off or they're created from some negative event or some bad lender or some bad real estate agent. Um, And understanding that, that, hey, you know what, let's find out where you are in the woods. Let's Mm -hmm. walk out together. And there's always a different perspective for sure. There's always a different perspective. Well, and the thing is, is that home is an investment. And so I always tell everybody, you know, you have the clients who want to buy the house for to live in, mm-hmm. you know, and it's an emotional purchase, but they want it to be a good investment and they want it to be good for renting. And they also want it to be good for appreciation. They want to get the highest return. And mm-hmm. that's another unicorn. It's going to be almost impossible to find a property that fits all those needs. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, you should be looking at that home as an investment. Mm-hmm. And the emotional stuff will come in once you move in. Right. You know, you're going to make it a home. Right. So it's it's going to be great. But make a smart purchase when you do it and have people behind you that can help you. Who, what kind of clients are you looking to work with? Who, who's the perfect client for you? You know, um, I, I don't have one client. I always call it, I love helping the inexperienced clients because the reward at the end of the day when they actually achieve and learn and, yep. and everything plays out is wonderful. But of course you love working with the seasoned clients too, who are very savvy at what they do and, and do it every day. You know, those can be really fun also. So I really don't have a particular client. I love it all. Yeah, we, we talked about that off air, how you like to cast a big net. Yes, I do. And mm-hmm. I think that that is somewhat unique to you and your yes. experience where you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into, okay, this is the specific client I'm looking for. And you sort of steer away from things that you're uncomfortable with. That's right. That That's, I love that about your business is that no matter who walks in the door, I can help you. If that's it's your right. first time home buyer, I will hold your hand. 
and I will walk you through this and you will understand everything that is taking place and I'll take some of that anxiety away. That's right. And a lot of that anxiety is just lack of information. And so if I can provide that, then you feel, you know, you feel better about it. And obviously that's what we're looking for. But then also, like you said, you can take a seasoned commercial investor and say, okay, great. Where's the spreadsheets? Let's get out the calculator and let's break this down. And then I'm having fun. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And the scary thing is, is I do all this without caffeine. Wow. Okay. (laughs) A unique individual. Oh, there you go. No doubt. And you're working with both buyers and sellers. I do. I do. And I love both sides of the business. I, you know, you are taught in this industry to specialize, especially in investment real estate and to stay with a core product. That's almost impossible in our area. We don't Mm. have enough people or enough product here to single down to one product. The benefit that I've had with my experience is because I've worked with so many agents over the years and I've mentored agents who do hotel, office, industrial, apartment. I've done it all. And so I've really had a great like you said, wide net Mm -hmm. that I've been able to work. And then adding into residential, it just made sense when I came here. Yep. Yep. With all that experience, do you get, and all of the mentoring that you have done in the past, do you spend a lot of time in your week from, you know, fielding questions from agents in your office and say, Hey, what do I do here? Like what I've never come across this. How do I, how do I do with this? I do. I actually have had a broker that I worked with uh, would call me even when I, I wasn't in the area. And, right. You know, I get I still get calls from attorneys down south. I still get calls from agents here and down south because it it makes my business better to share the knowledge than to keep it all to myself. Right. It makes the people I work with better also. So why wouldn't we share the information? Right. I'm not going to take an agent and walk them through an entire transaction right. unless I am mentoring them, but I take calls every day. I bet. Yeah. And it, I, I'm completely okay with it. It's what we do, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's a people helping people business. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, a, that's how you build your reputation. That's right. And then those folks, I, the, I, I tell people that all the time. I don't care if you're buying now six months from now, five years from now, or really never, if your experience and the process that you go through is positive, then you're going to tell someone else and they're going to use me. Right. So that, I mean, just having that reputation and having people want to come and sit down with you because of that reputation is, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's huge. People build their careers off of that. That's right. There yeah. was a building in on Broad Street, not too far from here. I worked with that client five years before we put the property on the market yep. because he wanted to be sure it was an owner user situation, but he also had a six apartment buildings above it. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to make sure, do I divide the bottom half? Do I keep half the building and become a stay as a tenant? Do I stay as a single tenant below? And we ran every scenario, worked with de- developers, contractors. We did it all. And it took a while. We actually even refinanced the building mm-hmm. and did all of that, set them up perfectly. And then at five years later, he was ready to sell and that's That's, the process yeah that's amazing people should understand how important that is because a lot of people sit down and if you're not a transaction that's going to happen and pay me in the next 30 to 60 days then i'm sorry i can't help you and they move on we're taught we're taught that if your client isn't doing business today cut them off and go on to the next person yeah but it's just not the type of business i do i don't i can't stand that i I just don't like that I just don't like that. It just makes sense that this path is often a lot longer for some folks than others. That's right. And I'm here to walk that path with you. Exactly. So we've and... got to get the camel pack on and load up some water and go, then we'll go. It's <laughs> all good. Go. It's there all good. Go. So, exactly. And you, you know, clients become friends, yep. you know, and some don't, some stay as business. It just depends on what they need. Sure. Sure. 
Well, it's a, like we've already discussed. It's a long, it can be a long and oftentimes it's a very emotional process. It's a big decision. Oftentimes the most, uh, the biggest financial decision any person's making in their life. And, and some people have an easier time pulling the trigger on a $500,000 million decision than others. That's right. Uh, I, I know I'm one that tends to agonize over those kinds of uh, dollar figures. I'm highly analytical. <laughs> Things don't happen overnight for me. <laughs> sure. Hey, we're uh, we're getting close to the end of the show. I, again, want to thank you for taking time out of your Saturday to join us and share some of your knowledge with our listeners. Um, how can folks get a hold of you if they want to engage your services. I appreciate that. I'm with Coldwell Banker Premier Real Estate out of Pismo Beach, and my phone number is 805-441-6367. And I do look forward to helping anyone in any way I can to make their dreams a reality in real estate, whether that be a house or commercial. Thank you, Irene. Irene Ryan is our guest. Again, Coldwell Banker in Pismo Beach. Her number is 441-6367. I hope you give her a call if you need any kind of real estate help. If you need help on the mortgage side, that's what we're here for. Central Coast Lending. We have four offices throughout the county. Um, one number rings all of our offices. It's 543-LOAN. It's 543-5626. Our website is centralcoastlending.com. We've got a lot of great information about the different loan programs that are available. Available. Um, you know, we, we do lending on anything from mobile homes to acreage properties and everything in between. If you're a first-time buyer or an experienced um, homeowner and investor, we can help you. If you need the the most competitive, best interest rate, we've got a product for that. If you need something unique and difficult, we've got that also. Give us a call uh, next week during the uh, at the office. Again, 543-LOAN. Uh, we'll see you next week on another edition of Mortgage Matters. Have a great weekend.